Hello and welcome to the TES podcast. We've returned. We're back after a two-week holiday. My name is Richard Vaughan. I am the host of the TES podcast and I am joined today by Kay Wiggins. Hello, Kay. Hello. Helen Amass. Hello, Helen. Hello. And Ed Dorrell. Hello, Ed. Bonjour. Bonjour indeed. Um, so it is uh, usually silly season um, this time of year, but it doesn't really feel very silly. Um, in fact, it feels like uh, business as usual. It's been a busy week. There has been a kind of semi-announcement which has stolen most of the headlines this week. Um, in fact, you've written your editorial about it, uh, Mr. Dorrell. Uh, it's about grammar schools and the possible return of grammar schools it's like the beast that can never be killed it's back again um what do we think people grammar schools anyone who's going to chip in uh yeah like you say it's the story that will never go away Indeed. um to some minds uh namely mine um i think there's a degree of inevitability post-brexit with a more traditional style conservative government coming in with the likes of David Davis and Dr. Fox. Dr. Fox, yes. And, uh, and Theresa May, uh, obviously, uh, that they would take to perhaps a more traditional conservative education agenda um, and uh, decide to bring back grammar schools, which was leaked to last Sunday's Sunday Telegraph, mm. which ruined my Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's. Um, we thought we'd gotten past this now. We thought this debate had finished and we'd all moved on. Even the Tories were saying this, you yeah. know, selection doesn't work. And here we are again. I, I, think, I think that's the thing that's worth remembering. It's very easy with hindsight that beyond Michael Gove and David Cameron, um, the Tories' uh, adoption of the comprehensive principle and comprehensive admissions was very, very thin. Um, it, there is an irony, I think, um, or potentially a very, very big irony in the fact that uh, people from the progressive agenda who um, passionately believe in comprehensive education might look back on Michael Gove as somewhat enlightened. Mm, who'd have thought it? <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it, it was hard to predict. Um, so, so anyway, we don't know really what shape this grammar school thing will take. You've had a good go at finding out Mr Vaughan. A little bit of crystal ball gazing, yes. Um, I've spoken to some people. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, Whitehall sources um, who I've spoken to and they suggested there won't be a full-scale return to a kind of two-tier model of grammar schools and, uh, and the much dreaded uh, secondary moderns. Um, and in fact, it would be more a kind of utilising the free school method to put schools in places that are disadvantaged but not possibly the most disadvantaged areas in the country um, and where there is parental demand and allow these schools to um, to select. So basically uh, there's a school called the London Academy of Excellence which is a 16 to 18 sixth form college which is selective. It's essentially that but 11 to 18 uh, so they'd sit an entrance exam uh, but with strict guidelines of allocations for free school meal kids or in with a with a strict uh, catchment area um would that sway anyone does that sway anyone with the idea that it, if it was very strict kind of catchment area which was in a very kind of deprived community would you be happy with i that? think i think of it um i think the tories would like to present it as a sort of surgical intervention 
in certain urban areas and I think for maybe a lot of mainstream teachers mm. if it's not going to have a big impact then maybe it won't offend them but the kind of educationist class um, will still be enormously offended by it. We have one in our in our circle right now. <laughs> Helen, you were a teacher. Uh, what do you think? I mean, would you have found your life easier if you were teaching in a grammar school? Um, I think I would have found it easier in some ways, but it's not just about what makes life easier for teachers. I think it's thinking about what's the best thing for the students, um, not just in the grammar school, but all the students who are left out of the grammar school. Exactly. And whether that's the best environment for them to be learning in. Mm. Um, so I think that's, that's something that needs to be put that people need to think about. Absolutely. Genuine question. Do you think um, if you went into a normal staff room in a normal secondary school, there is a, a faith in the comprehensive model? Do people believe in it or is it just the system that people work in? I think it's I think there's so much variety in comprehensive schools. Um, I think it really depends on where the school is, um, how uh, you know selective that school might be, even if it pretends not to be selective. Um, so I think that there is so much variety that you already have comprehensives that are sort of semi-selective mm. um, in some ways. Um, so, you know, I think it would really depend on the school you went into and ask that question. That's the point, isn't it? I mean, that we still don't have a fully comprehensive system by any stretch of the imagination. So we've never really seen if it could yeah. work in its essence in its truest form because it's never actually existed. And I think... The argument that you'll start hearing now from, from Tories and maybe maybe even some Labour politicians that support this move will be, well, we've already got to a point where there's effectively selection by house price anyway. I mean, yeah. that's kind of quite an old argument, but I feel like that's that's going to come back on the agenda now. People are going to be saying there's a lot of comprehensive schools where, you know, you can only really get in if you live quite nearby and the house prices are very yeah. high. So in a way, they'll make the case that this is a more socially just model, especially if you have some kind of rules about how to how many free school meals children have to have to be yeah. admitted or exactly what the catchment areas have to be so maybe that's the way they'll win people over yeah yeah if it, if it was heavily heavily policed that would be not possibly the right argument but it would be a strong argument uh, i mean you know the more you look under the bonnet of the admission system the more as it stands the more you realize that the comprehensive ideal is well no more than that an ideal mm -hmm. and we don't need to say this to our listeners i mean our listeners know this better than anyone else. Absolutely. I mean, some schools, some schools, you know, the hoops that parents have to jump through, even to get through the door on, yeah. <laughs> on open day, yeah. is, is sort of ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, well, it's going to rumble on and on and on, as this argument has done for decades. Um, <laughs> but uh, moving on, it is, of course, summer and that means just one thing, yeah. huh? <laughs> Results! <laughs> the day where dreams are shattered or realised. Um, and that's just for the teachers. Uh, so we had a story out this week. This is our, our lead story. We commissioned uh, YouGov to, to survey teachers and head teachers to find out whether or not they still had faith in the exam system. Are we surprised that they said no? Probably not, yeah. is the short answer. I mean, things are changing so quickly at the moment. You know, even people in the world of exams are saying this feels like a tsunami of reform. You know, just kind of wave after wave of yeah. massive reform in the system. So it's not surprising that teachers might look at that and say, 
how on earth can we have any faith in this when it's changing every year? We don't feel like we can predict. You know, it used to be the case that if you did certain things, if you ran the system at school in a certain way, you could basically tell for any given pupil what they were most likely to achieve. You could predict pupils' grades. What they're saying now is that feels like it's gone out of the window. It feels like there's no link anymore between what you can observe as a teacher in a school and what happens to, with people's exam results. So it's kind of no wonder they're losing faith with that happening. Oh, well, why is that a problem, though? Why is it a problem that a teacher can't predict where, where a kid is? It's really unsettling for the teachers who sure. are not used to this, and head teachers especially, and especially because this is all happening in the context of really high-stakes accountability, which yeah. is linked very specifically to exam results in a lot of cases. So if you're kind of combining this high-stakes accountability you know, with, with prospects of being turned into an academy or having been taken over by a different chain, all that pressure being combined with the fact that the exam system is very unpredictable, as a school, that makes your life a lot harder. At least if you could tell how well you were doing as you were going, you'd have a, some, some kind of reassurance. I was, uh, I was speaking to a head in Manchester a few weeks ago who, of a very successful school, and he was saying um, they have no idea what goes on now on results day. He said, he, just, just as Kay was outlining years ago, you could pretty much predict what almost all your kids would get. You could pretty much predict what your cohort would get. You had a really good idea of what was going to happen. He said, "Now he said it's like the Wild West." <laughs> he said, um, "He was saying to his colleagues in the Manchester um, Schools Forum, you know, it, it's just like rolling a set of dice. You've got wow, right. no idea. They get the results on Wednesday, of course. Schools get the results on Wednesday. They have an idea." And he said, "You open, open up the email on Wednesday, or the envelope, or whatever it is, and uh, you've just got no idea what it contains." Um, Helen, we're going to go on to because you've obviously written a piece uh, uh, this week, our main feature, but. Can you just give us a sense of what it's like as a teacher when it comes to results day? Because obviously it's, it's the students that come first, but obviously, as, as Kay said, there's so much rests on these things for, 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 for schools and for teachers. What's it, what's it like on, on Thursdays in August? Well, I, I was an English teacher, and, and obviously that's one of the subjects, which is a core subject, and so mm. it has a, a, a huge amount of scrutiny on it. Um, and I think as a teacher, you are aware that um, your department and your school are depending on those results. Cool. Um, and, you know, you, you feel a huge amount of pressure as a teacher, not just for the students, but for your school and your department as well. Um, and you don't want to be the one teacher in the department who's letting the team down. Um, so I think that there is a lot of pressure, not just concern about your students, but concern about the school um, as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is it... Is it the, the, the magnitude of the change that's coming through, do we think, that's affecting people, or is it the actual change itself that's taking place that's, that's concerning teachers? The thing is, most of the big changes haven't even started yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to remember in all of this. So in some ways, it's kind of almost psychological. People can feel this is changing very quickly. They're prepared. They're very, I mean, it's not psychological in the sense that it's real. They're preparing for the reforms. But we don't get the first results of the reform GCSEs this year. They're not until next year. So people are just people just feel as if everything's changing very quickly. There's lots of preparation to do for new qualifications. So that's partly what's con contributing to this kind of sense that nothing's staying the same anymore. Yeah. There was a nice quote uh, from Russell Hobby. He said, if there is a light at the end of the tunnel with this exam changes, then it's an oncoming train <laughs> and not the end of the tunnel at all. Um, <laughs> Obviously, uh, next Thursday's A-level results day. Um, do we have, 
it sounds like we don't, but is there any kind of inkling which way the wind is blowing? Is it going to be more of the same? No more grade inflation and blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly not expecting there to be any significant change in grades nationally in the pass rate or in the proportion of A's and A stars. Um, the system, which is called comparable outcomes, uh, has been in place, which I will not bore you all with now, but essentially it kind <laughs> of yeah. keeps grades pretty much constant from year to year. Uh, that's still in place, and there's no sign that there's going to be anything like the kind of the big increases in pass rates or A stars that we've seen in previous years. The big change this year that, to look out for is that this is the first time that the reformed AS levels have, will have been taken. Oh, of course. The ones that don't count towards the A levels. The anymore. conscious decoupling. <laughs> yeah, yes. the conscious decoupling. Yeah. So it will be really interesting to see what happens with those. It's there's a lot of kind of. Um, hard work going on uh, within exam boards in terms of how you grade those papers fairly now because in the past you know you could you could use a lot of factors like what students had gained in um, prior attainment or what pre previous groups of students had got this year there's a lot of unknown so we don't know whether the cohort doing them will be the same whether it's just going to be the cleverer kids that do a levels mm -hmm. this year or whether it's the reverse um, we don't know whether motivation is going to be the same. So we don't know whether people, because people know that their AS levels don't count anymore towards their A2s, are they going to do as much revision or are they just going to kind of give it a shot, see how it goes, doesn't matter if you don't pass it because a lot of people it's won't take it pretty much how I all. did all my exams anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, are, you know, are you grading people fairly? You have to take into account all that and that's really hard to do. So, that's, so Ofqual published something, which is the exams regulator, this week saying that there will be more variability in results for schools this year, which obviously on Twitter has caused a lot of teachers to start saying, I'm really worried about this. Uh, I'm not surprised, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there is big variability anytime you bring in a big change. This, I mean, maybe this week will be the kind of warning of what's to come for the next few years. This is the first of the big go of reforms to, to be shown in exam, on the exam results day. E. Blimey! <laughs> God, it's like a, it's like a cliffhanger at the end of an episode of Neighbours. Um, so this is a time, obviously, when people say goodbye, which is an awful segue into your feature, <laughs> Helen. Um, you have written a piece about how difficult it is to say goodbye. Yeah, well, how, how difficult or not it is for teachers to say goodbye <laughs> right. to students. Okay. Um, obviously, uh, with, with GCSE and A-level results, that is going to be the time where teachers are saying goodbye to students for um, what may will probably be the last time in a lot of cases. Um, and these could be students that they've taught all through secondary mm. school or all through I mean, primary school, obviously not, but mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for several years. Um, and you spend so much time with these students in, in class, day after day, um, quite often more time than you might spend with your own family, yeah. even. Um, and it's, it's difficult not to um, build a strong sort of working relationship with those students. In fact, your teaching is helped by building strong working course, relationships yeah. with the students. Um, but then, of course, you have to uh, cut that relationship off quite abruptly when results day comes. Um, and it's just looking at how teachers manage that. From speaking to teachers, most of them seem to be very good at the process. Um, it's just part of the job for them. Um, it's something that they have to do year after year. Um, but psychologists say that uh, perhaps that's um, a simplistic view and that actually it might be more difficult than teachers are prepared to admit sometimes, particularly in cases where um, they're working with vulnerable students mm. who they might be um, you know, worried about outside of school. 
I was struck the other day um, by a friend of mine, a friend who is a teacher, no less, uh, telling me uh, about how he'd, uh, he works in a school where they have a vertical tutor system. Mm -hmm. So he's been uh, the form tutor for some kids who are now leaving this August for seven years. Mm. So every day mm -hmm. of, of their working life, he's yeah. seen this group who are leaving. There's only four or five of them because it's a vertical tutor group mm -hmm. system. Sure. Um, and he says it will be very weird. I mean, he's seen, he's <laughs> been seeing them every day for longer than he's had kids, yeah. for example. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a fairly extraordinary thing. Mm. Um, but he also says, as you allude to, Helen, it is literally part of the job. How difficult is that, though? I mean, as I've said earlier in the show, you, you, you were a teacher, mm. you've been there. I mean, how difficult is it practically? I mean, I think... The vast majority of students, it's it's not that difficult. Yeah. Um, there's even, as one teacher said <coughs> when I was speaking to her, there's even those students you're quite happy to see the back of. I'm sure. Um, but the students who you know don't have perhaps um, strong adult role models in their lives or who um, you know are going home to uh, a home environment that's perhaps less than desirable, or you might have concerns about what they're going on to next now that they're leaving school and will be outside of the kind of supportive structures that school provides. Those are the students where it can be difficult and, you know, where you do find yourself looking back and thinking about those students from time to time, um, even though you're not working with them anymore. That's something that I find. I occasionally think of students that I worked with, um, you know, who I perhaps... Um, would you know would welcome knowing how they were getting on and, and if they're okay is there more that could be done in order to i mean i know there's only so much a school can do mm -hmm. and there certainly is only so much a teacher can do but mm -hmm. is there more that could be done do you think within the school sphere to, to, to keep in contact and help those kids yeah definitely i think that providing um, a platform for teachers to talk about this kind of stuff is really crucial um, i think part of the problem is that there is a bit of stigma around admitting um, to, to finding goodbyes difficult or um, feeling like you have a close relationship with a particular student. Um, that, that's seen as something to be avoided for obvious reasons. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it does happen. And I think that um, giving teachers the opportunity to speak openly about that um, and to get support from colleagues um, or to have drop-in sessions with a counsellor even, um, getting a, a psychologist into work in the school um, and run sort of teacher workshops can be really beneficial. My friend was saying that there's a big debate about um, whether to Facebook or not. Mm. Once, once your sick formers have left, yeah. they're adults, they're off to university. They're, he said, logically, there's no reason why you shouldn't become Facebook friends with them, and he does. He says it's actually a really nice way of keeping a kind of a distance, but a, a, but a kind of contact, making sure mm. they're okay. Is there a sense of, you know, kind of army style, suck it up, this is what you do kind of thing? Is there that kind of approach to... to you know, the building of relationships and then severing them overnight. Yeah, I think probably some of that does come into it. I think teachers do tend to be fairly stoic about it because they have to be. You mm. know, they, it would be detrimental to them if they were to get really attached year after year. And then, um, you know, one of the psychologists I, sp I spoke to said that it was... Um, it could be similar to the, the relationship that a foster parent has with, with their child um, in that when that child moves on, if they're mourning the loss of that relationship, it, it impairs their ability to build a new relationship with a new foster child. Uh -huh. um, so, it, you know, um, that could be something that happens to teachers as well. If they spend too much time dwelling on the loss of past relationships with students, 
they can't then go on to effectively do their job and build those good relationships with the next cohort. Sure, makes sense. Um, okay, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, that just leaves me to say thank you to Helen, to Kay, to Ed. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will, of course, be back next week when it will be A-level results day. Woohoo! Uh, I'm sure you all can't wait for that. Um, until then, enjoy uh, whatever's left remaining of your summer, and uh, we will catch up with you next time. Thanks, and goodbye.